The Way Out Podcast, episode 260. What's your name? Tori Volk. Hey, Tori. Hey. What was your substance of choice or DOC? Well, my first time around, it was cocaine and alcohol. The second time around, it was just alcohol. Gotcha. Yep. And what's your clean date? May 19th, 2009. Damn, that's a long time. Good job. Mm -hmm. What is your primary pathway or recovery program? That would be AA. Nice. End of faith-based meeting. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're anything so like both. me, it's it's always progressing, right? I'm adding to it yeah. all the time. Yep. Um, in what ways do you serve your recovery community? Well, I sponsor women through the AA program. Um, I have been a squad leader for a meeting for, I think I did that for like two and a half years. Um, and I'm just always available, squad duty, what have you. But right now I'm not really doing like service work as like consistently you know what i mean if it needs to be done i'll go do it right well being available is huge (laughs) in and of itself though too because then well right you know it's not like you're avoiding it it's like you're no welcoming of it yeah it's nice it's nice to feel needed for sure it's just that responsibility statement you know when anyone anywhere reaches out for help I want the hand of eight, eight, eight. Eight, eight. Always be there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like this one guy broke that down. It was like the topic of a meeting one time. He broke that down and he was like really emphasized anyone, anywhere. He's like, so yep. that's not just in here. It's not just at the club. It's not just at Gopher State or whatever. Right. He's like, this means at work. This means on the street. This means yep. at the park, you know, if you've got your kid yep. or wherever you are. The grocery store, you want to help some old lady carry your groceries because you see she's struggling. Yeah. Um, and I loved that because it really uh, broadened my uh, perspective of the whole idea. Yeah. But Helping was, a lady walk on ice, and the, you know, that whenever. That was early, early on for me and it was like, it just opened up a world of opportunities to be of service, you know, or to make a stranger right. smile. And, and it was like, man, it, it was helpful in my recovery. Yeah, sure. that, yeah, that broadens the, you know, our perspective. Like it's anyone that exactly. needs help. Exactly. Yep. It's crazy. What yep. is, uh, or what does recovery mean to you? It's, it means a lot. I wrote some things down because it's a lot. You ready? Um, it means that I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body um, that God has changed my mind about drugs and alcohol and my body is now at peace and it's no longer craving drugs or alcohol as long as I don't take that first drink Mm. Um, and recovery has given me the ability to love even though I still fall short sometimes personal dignity of the ability to have compassion for myself and others uh (laughs) the desire to create and the ability to tell the truth to myself and others um and it's restored relation my relationship with god and others and it means i go to god for everything and his power keeps me sober oh 
beautiful response to that question. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's very yeah. thoughtful response, and it's so true that it is an all-encompassing thing. It's uh, if I focus on this one thing, it's going to change everything, right? Right. I never imagined the ways that it would change my life. It, it improved things I didn't know needed improving. I didn't yep. notice until they improved. And then I was like, oh, right. you know, like, yeah. And it, <clears throat> it just keeps happening too. You know, it's a never ending uh, process yeah. and, and it's, it's really awesome. And I, well, and it's I, like healing. Yeah. We're healing, we're healing and healing takes time yeah. and it's progressive, you know, that's cool. Yes. It, is. <laughs> it ain't always easy but you know it's worth it so worth it welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast we appreciate your ears our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jump start or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction the Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's AllRecoveryRings.com. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this rendition of The Way Out, my superstar co-host Jason has an outstanding interview with person in long-term recovery, Tori Volk. This conversation with Tori will indeed resonate with anyone, but especially with all you mothers out there in Way Out podcast land. It's challenging enough facing co-occurring disorders, but when you add in some complicated parenting issues, it's truly a miracle to get through it clean and sober. Tori shares her journey to and through recovery with us to this point, and without question, Tori's determination and perseverance is sure to inspire anyone who's already in 
or contemplating recovery. So listen up. Tori Volk, what's up? Hey, thanks so much. Thanks so much for being with us today and taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the way out podcast, to share some experience and strength and hope with us. I really appreciate it. No problem. I'm stoked to hear your story. I don't think I've heard the whole thing. Um, I don't think I've ever heard the whole thing. So it's going to be awesome. I'm going to get to know you a little better here. Right on. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, I know it's awesome when people make that, that leap and they want to start maybe telling their stories on a broader platform and yeah, you, you just did uh, another podcast recently and then, yep. yep, we end up running into each other and it's like, you want to be on here? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, it's always awesome to give people a platform in a in a way to reach a broader audience because it's not about us; it's about them out there. You know. Yep. Yep. For so sure. I'm I'm just like super grateful to be able to do this with you today, and I just can't wait to hear what you have to say. So that being said. <laughs> We usually try to start off with some like family of origin stuff, you know, like where are you from okay. you know, and, and what, what, what was growing up like for a young Tory? Oh, great. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I grew up in Andover on eight acres of land. So I was a tomboy. Uh, I have an older brother. He's three years older. Um, parents are married, still are. Um, growing up for me, oh man. Well, I mean, I loved being a outside and, uh, you know, ride my little three wheeler around and, um, I was pretty sensitive, um, got my feelings hurt very easily, um, went through some childhood trauma from different, different people in my life. Um, so that kind of made me turn inwards in a way, but then also focused on other people around me to make sure their moods were okay and that I didn't disrupt anything and that my environment was, um, safe per se. Like, so I kind of learned not to express myself so much, or I've learned to, uh, hide what I was feeling, I guess. Um, I grew up, I did have a really close childhood friend and we're still friends to this day. Um, yeah. So like school and stuff was, I didn't know how to read till third grade and that was due to trauma because your brain stops working basically. Yeah. So, um, I had a tutor in third grade. So that happened and I'm trying to think junior high was that's when I kind of started 13 was the age when I had my first drink oh wow yeah that was about the same age I started and I can really relate to what you're saying about you know just that whole concept of like kind of like feeling out the room knowing the moods and the cues 
of the people around you and trying to kind of cater to their feelings, like, like yeah. and having to stuff your own, you know, like you, yeah. you, you need to do everything in your power to not rock the boat. I mean, I grew up, you know, when I was younger with a single mother, you know, household, she was an alcoholic. So it was very mm-hmm. much that way where like, I was, a. Uh, you know, I was the perfect kid. I was such a good little helper and had such great yeah. manners. And I, and I did all these things around the house and people would come over and they would be like super impressed because of my behavior. When inside I was just like trying to, you know, I, I guess I was like fearful that it was, you know, I didn't want to like piss her off and, right. and I didn't want and I just couldn't trust even who she brought home either, you know, at the time. Right. So yeah. it, was, it was tough to, uh, you know, looking back. And, yeah. and I think I carried that in into my life further down the line for a long time where I was try- like a people pleaser. I always wanted like people to like me. I cared too much about what people thought of me or how yep. they felt about me, you know? Yeah, I could say that's my in my childhood when I learned how to be a codependent. Yeah. Right. You know, it's really like um, a survival mechanism though. Right. Like it's like, well, yeah, you know, it is, it is, but it's not very healthy. (laughs) No, absolutely not. But it's (laughs) funny how it starts that way. And then it just becomes this like Achilles heel, like a thorn in your side that pretty much it's like your picker's broken now. Yep. Yep. everything's broken because <laughs> nothing feels normal unless it's like that. Cause that's what you right. know, but that's not normal. Well, you kind of learn, like for me, I learned it's, it, it's like not safe to be in your body. It's not safe to be like you in a way, you know what I mean? I don't know how to describe that feeling. Um, you know, and then my older brother, he, you know, he got a lot of attention cause he was super good at hockey you know, props to him, like super good. And I was, a, I'm, I was pretty athletic too, but I, I just had this fear. Like, I don't know where the fear came in, but I had this crippling fear, you know, and, you know, I did gymnastics till ninth grade, but I could have been freaking awesome if I would have kept going, you know, and then I was on the track team in high school. And then I quit that because I wasn't the fastest <laughs> one oh, girl was fast. One so girl was faster per- than me. <laughs> so you were a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. Perfectionist, you know, and yeah, uh, like where if I if I'm not super kick ass at something right away, then I have no I lose interest in it. <laughs> right. And I don't know if it was because I, I yeah, I don't know why I did. I don't know either, but I, um, I tell you what, I again, I relate to that because like I just actually this last week at work had a conversation with a guy. And I apologized to him about a tiny little like mistake I made the day before. And he yeah. was like, he was like, really, really, Jason, is that the kind right. of stuff that you think about? He's like, so you're at home at night and you're thinking about that. <laughs> and he's like, oh man, I see how it is. And he is giving me a hard time. And I said, perfectionism may be a thing for me that I've been working on and I'm going to continue right. to work on for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But I mean, I did when I was younger, I started drawing and stuff. And then uh, in high school is when um, I really got some props for 
how good I could draw. So I kind of just stuck with drawing and painting as far as like a talent per se, like rather than athletics, but that's still, that's pretty awesome talent though. Yeah. I would say I, I, I can't draw a good stick figure. So (laughs) yeah, I enjoy it. Nice. That's awesome. So you were talking about 13. Yeah. I know when I was 13 was the first time I shot up. Dang. I know. And uh, it was actually terrifying. I'm surprised I wasn't scared off for life from that, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But that being said, you said your first time you had drank was when you were 13 yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about like what was that first experience like for you? Well, it was a neighborhood friend of mine, and uh I don't remember what it was, but the moment it like the moment I swallowed it, I literally got like a euphoric feeling. It was the weirdest thing. Um, I don't think I got drunk that day, but I was like, wow, this stuff is this is my this is it. I mean, at 13, I was like, this is it. And the thing is, is I didn't know why it was the answer for me then until later on. It was because of pain, you know, emotional pain. And uh, that I was trying to trying to medicate, basically. Um, so, yeah, and then it turned into uh, drinking and just trying whatever anybody gave me. <laughs> Pot, acid rush i don't know like that junior high stuff white crosses <laughs> you must be older than me <laughs> i'm a lot older than you it was crank. it was crank when i was in no school. <laughs> no that came that came later <laughs> yeah my mom talks about white crosses <laughs> yeah makes your hair feels like it's all tingling your head <laughs> i'm so dumb it's the but, same um, it's probably the same shit just a different form of it <laughs> yeah because I, I remember my hair tingling, but it just, I just never did white crosses. <laughs> uh, yeah, funny. I, just, I was just laughing because I'm like, wow, you dated yourself. <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind. I don't, I don't blame mind. you at all. It is what it is. And it's kind of it's kind of like an interesting too to hear people talk about, you know, back in the days, like even before <laughs> our, our our days, you know what I mean? I'm not exactly right. no kid either anymore, but like people right. hear me say crank and they're like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what it is. What is it? <laughs> oh, it was, it was meth. The ver- like one of the first kinds of like first virgin home, version home, home cooked, you know, kind of stuff. Okay. That people could make it. And- yeah. I did that. I don't remember when, but I know I did it. I'm sure you did. <laughs> but yeah, I did. And, yeah. And I had actually one year, so that was 13 and I had one year of sobriety when I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you without a program, but, but now let's, let's explore that a little bit. Cause like, sure. Is that like, cause you got in trouble or was nope. that because it was like a problem you could feel that it was kind of like a problem for you so early on that you didn't want to, you wanted to like stop. Well, the, the, the thing is, is that, um, when I was a little kid, I always had a higher power, 
which I call God, Jesus. And um, so when I was 16, I started going to Blaine High School instead of Anoka. And I was going with um, one of my cousins and some friends of hers. And they were all going to church and stuff. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll try that. And they didn't drink or do drugs. And so basically I was like just following the crowd, I guess. And I made it one year sober. Wow. So, um, yeah, but by the time I was 17, 11th grade, I started drinking again. Huh? So, Interesting. so yeah, like kind of trying to fit in or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of knew like, you know, cause I kind of, I always like knew that God was like present in my life and I knew that he was like the answer for all my problems. I just didn't know how to approach it. You know what I mean? I didn't know. I just was trying something else and, you know, self-will gets in the way and, Mm. and I didn't have a program, you know, it was just going to church. Yeah. So, and I really didn't know why I drank and used drugs in the first place at six, 16 and 17. I didn't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I hear you totally. Cause I would think if you would ask me then it's like, just trying to have fun, man, you know, just, trying yeah. And to, that's kind of what it was. Just trying to party a little bit, you know? Yeah. So it was partying through high school on the weekends. I didn't, I couldn't see that. I was like, um, trying to be cool. You know, I couldn't see that I was trying to, uh, you know, be, more fun more crazy like stand out in a crowd like i was always there like all about (laughs) shock shock value when i was younger and so i I wanted to like i just i just wanted to be different you know than everybody else and it's it's like or did you want to be like everybody else so i'd like do crazy (laughs) oh you would would say oh i see yeah I would do and say and behave in ways that people would be like, shock what the heck? yeah, I just wanted to like shock people all the time. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Funny. I know. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, my, it kind of took a turn um, when I was introduced to cocaine when I was 19, then it really started amping up and then I was doing crazy stuff you know yeah like my friends are like you used to cut lines while you were driving and snort them i'm like what (laughs) i don't remember doing that but okay i probably did (laughs) yeah i wouldn't have put it past me (laughs) exactly anyway so yeah so 19 is when uh well at 19 i had a miscarriage and so it was like all downhill from there you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. just another painful trauma thing that happened and so at that time cocaine and alcohol were my answer and it was like not every day but close enough right it would have been if you could have got your hands on some every day yeah (laughs) type of thing right Um, yeah that's so weird like i had a my what would have been my first kid we miscarried when i was 18 Mm-hmm. And that, that was, yeah, that was a hard experience. Yeah. It like was pretty, 
traumatic. Totally. Yeah. I mean, even though I didn't know what I was going to do, like my parents were like, they're like no sex before marriage type of people, you know, and it's like, what the hell, you know, and I, and I was like, I wouldn't, and didn't even think about an abortion, but right. Um, yeah, but God had a different plan. So, you know, yeah. today I just know I have to accept what happened you can't change it. So, but yeah. at the time it was like devastating for me. I can't imagine. Cause I, I remember when I went through it, it was like, you know, what is she doing? Cause she was in the bathroom forever. Yeah. So I, so I was like knocking on the door and I'm like, are you okay? And she like, wasn't answering me. And then I could like hear her sniffling. Oh, so I like unlocked because it was like a doorknob with the little hole in it, you know, so you could like stick something in there or whatever. Oh yeah. And pop yep. it. And she's like curled in the fetal on the floor and, I, and I'm like, what's going on? And I'm, hugging her and then i happened to like glance at the toilet and i was like mm. oh my god and then yeah we just cried and cried but as much yeah. of the devastation as that was for me because obviously mm. that's you know piece of me in there as well right was not my body right right that yeah for whatever reason um had to eject this little unborn yeah. child it was it was really heavy and to your point i would definitely say a catalyst for more chaos and uh yeah bad decisions in 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 the future from there because yeah what do you do with that pain you cover it up with drugs and alcohol. I mean, that's what I did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, that's the only, that's the only thing that I knew what to do, you know? And yeah. Uh, I, and, and I don't it, know why yeah. I laughed when you said that. Because well, it, I know because it's kind of like, hello, don't you know? <laughs> well, yeah. Like we're, these are the kinds of things that only an addict or an alcoholic could laugh at because we can relate exactly. to it, but right. it's like not funny for sure. It's not, it's not, you know, and then I got a DWI, I think like the same month. Oh, wow. That that happened. Yeah. So that was another whammy. So you were 19. Yep. Were you living on your own? Were you? Like, no, college I, I lived with my parents. Yeah. I lived with my parents. I didn't go to college. Um, well, I did like a, some, like a semester maybe of like, Anoka Ramsey and I dropped out because I was like, I don't want to do this. So I'm just going to work. Um, but then, yeah, college came later. Two times later. I think I went, I got my degree in graphic design in, oh, I don't know how old I was. It was 96 or something, 97. So after and then I got, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, so 19 to 23, I was out there going nutto, going crazy, using, partying. I never really got in trouble, but that, uh, that one DWI and I'm such a good friend. After I got my DWI, I told my best friend, now you're driving all the time. <laughs> 
because you drive better drunk than I do. (laughs) So, (laughs) So me, I mean, but that's what we do, right? So, I mean, just tons of partying. That's all I did. That's all I really focused on. And then at 20, I think it was 23, my brother's ex-girlfriend lived out in Arizona and she hung out with the crowd that I was hanging out with. And she was like, you need to leave. You need to leave Anoka now. And you need to come out in Arizona and live with me. I was like, okay. So, and even my best friend, he was the guy that was giving me the meth and stuff. And he, he basically cut me off before I, before I moved out to Arizona when I was 23. He was like, you're off the rails here, kid. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty, he, he, he cut me off and I was so pissed. <laughs> it's pretty bad when you're drug dealers, like you've had enough. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I ain't, buy, I ain't giving you more shit, Tori. You're cut off. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So um, I did move out to Arizona for like five months. And um, I got clean off of the meth and coke. I still drank out there. Um, but I couldn't make a living out there very much. You know, it's it was just different there. I was waitressing and I wasn't making a lot of money. So I moved back. And I stayed sober. So that was my first sense of sobriety. So it was like 97 to I don't know the actual how many years I was sober. So let me think. 97. <laughs> Probably five years I was sober. Okay. And was yeah. that, that was all brought on just because people were concerned about you and. Yeah. You know, and so when I moved, I came home from Arizona and I drank for two more weeks and then I, I stopped and you know, the crazy thing is, is like, I was dating this guy before I moved to Arizona and he's the one on the phone calling me from Minnesota. And he was like, you need to give your life to Jesus. <laughs> you need to repent. <laughs> you need to stop drinking and using and da, 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 da. And I'm like, what ever, man, you're a criminal and you're a drug addict. What are you telling me this for? You know? Right. And, uh, but he was right. And I came back to Minnesota and he actually brought me to church. And, uh, when I came back, and uh, I talked to this pastor guy there and it was, it was re- literally a spiritual awakening for me when I talked to this pastor and I prayed with him and everything and invited God back into my life. And, um, you know, I really felt the presence of God come back into my life at that time. And I did remain sober and, um, but I didn't have a program. I didn't go to AA. It was, again, I was just going to church and stuff, which, you know, I still had all the addict behavior, but I was trying to work on it, but I didn't have like a tangible program like we do in AA to really figure out your life and your causes and conditions and, you know, all that kind of, you know, like daily give your character defects to God and ask him to change you type of thing. So, you know, I was still kind of a raging lunatic in a way, very codependent, um, anger, Lots of rage and anger I had, you know, and that's just, that was built up from all the traumas I had experienced. And there's quite a few in there during my using years. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. So it was like, and I don't really know. So I talked to my sponsor I have today about that time of sobriety that I had. And I was trying to figure out how long I had. And she's like, well, Tori, 
um, you lost your sobriety when you started drinking NyQuil and you didn't have a cold. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why were you doing that? So you could sleep? Yes, yeah, so I could sleep. But, you know, I drink half a bottle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I'm an escape or I'm an escape. You know, I wanted to escape. I just, you know, and actually I, I got married um, when I was 27 and I was sober. So that was 2001. Was so it I'm the thinking same I start- guy that brought you to church? No, no, that guy went to prison. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that guy went to prison. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah, he went to prison shortly after. Um, shortly after I moved back from Arizona. That's a whole nother story. He just, brought you, <laughs> he just brought you back to the Lord and then. <laughs> and then went off on his little, yeah, it was just the weirdest thing, but God uses anybody he can and wants Man. to, you know what I mean? I, it doesn't matter. Yes. I can attest to that. That's absolutely. So, you know, and, uh, so that, yeah, then I got married in 2001 and then I, I was sober with no program. And then back to the baby thing, I had two, ectopic pregnancies which are emergency surgeries mm-hmm. and so there's and those were like back to back like 2001 2002 and so there's two more devastating traumas that happened um and i think that's probably why i started drinking that night well you know um and then it was then it was um i'm afraid to fly so i'm gonna go to the doctor and get some xanax yeah <laughs> And, you know, okay, here you go. Like so easily back then, I think it was oh, like 2000 something. I don't remember the dates, but from what yeah, I hear, so it's, then still, I, it's still easy from what I hear. It's oh, yeah, probably. So then it was, I was on Xanax. I didn't need the NyQuil anymore because now I had Xanax, you know, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not blaming my ex or anything, but he started drinking again. And uh, so then I, you know, I was tempted and then, then I finally gave in and it was just one little glass of red wine. No big deal. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Two and a half years of blackouts and who knows drunkenness. But prior to that, I'll have to say prior to my relapse, we did adopt a, a little girl and she was 27 months when we got her and she had come from two, two different foster homes. She had her own trauma And so that's kind of what triggered in me. I think not that she triggered my relapse, but it triggered all the trauma that I had been stuffing inside of me, you know, that pain kept, you know, cause I was looking at myself in a way, the way she was acting as a, you know, just nightmares and hitting me and, you know, just was uh, beside herself half the time. So it kind of made it just, brought up all the stuff within me um you know and so i went well, to therapy plus just the fact that parenting is really hard anyway you know what i mean yeah um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah like, and then i was busy like, i can remember with my first kid man like and he was just a you know like a year old and when he would like not stop crying and stuff sometimes i would like want i would physically have to restrain myself from like shaking him or throwing him or squeezing him like yeah because my feelings would get so intense like yes 
that's the thing it's kind of like the shit out of me you know when you have trauma past trauma that you haven't dealt with any little stressor is like a freaking explosion because your your brain can't handle it you know right you know and so like i mean then i then i just focused on her getting her help and had her in therapy and all this when she was little and you know then it was like i think so she was almost two or she was two and a half when we got her and i relapsed when she was i three so it took six months i just couldn't and it wasn't her fault i don't blame her at all no it was my own it's just was my own pain that i was well, you're like a trying again you know yeah yeah, it was, Eventually you, you know. start whistling, you know, <laughs> it's on, you know. And- right. And I went through like, it was really crazy when we got, when we adopted her, I quit my job and I was a stay at home mom and you know, that whole adjustment. And I mm. went through like severe depression I and I believe that's why, well, I don't know why I got freaking Xanax for depression, but <laughs> my depression and anxiety, my anxiety yeah. was through the roof. Is it um, definitely like a, major life change major life change complete change in in lifestyle well and it wasn't like normal like get pregnant have a baby go through that it's like bam you got a two and a half year old with who suffered trauma beyond you can think of and you know and then having bringing her to therapy and play therapy and sensory therapy and you know all this stuff which you know I wanted to do because I love her so much and I wanted her not to be like me when I when she grew up you know let's deal with the pain now I knew that yeah but yeah so it was like yeah I mean basically I was just covering up my pain and I and, and I was too afraid to relapse with like the harder drugs because I didn't know what people are putting it in, putting in it right during that time. So I just stuck with my good friend alcohol. Or you just get older, <laughs> you know, you've grown apart from those people that you used to be yes. deal with. Now it's like, I don't even know where to get it. What you know, i I went through that a couple times where it was like, yeah, I would get high, but I don't even know where to get it. And I don't feel like going through the trouble. Right. Well, and I was cut off. People. Yeah, yeah, I could call my old buddy back up. <laughs> He'd be like, "You're cut off, bitch." No, I'm just kidding. I told you, <laughs> don't no more. Don't come to me for that, <laughs> man. Yeah, so, so. yeah, it definitely sounds like it was a very challenging time for you. Um, yeah, it was to help uh, safely like walk with this little girl through her yeah. healing process herself, right? Yeah. And so I put myself in therapy too during my relapse. I don't think I went regularly. I don't think I went for very long either, but I remember I did. Um, you know, it was an attempt. what's that? I said it was an attempt. It was an attempt, but see, I didn't know how to live life. I didn't know how to live in a, a sober life. Right. You know, so, I mean, I got involved with stuff at church and everything and before my relapse um, and did all that, um, you know, and during my relapse, I remember I called some chicks, I think it was a pastor's wife and then um, a friend of mine and, you know, the 
good church ladies who never drank or anything. And I was drunk and I had them come over and I was crying out for help, but they didn't know how to help me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or maybe I didn't really want help at that time. I just wanted attention. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? knows? So much of that is on a subconscious level anyway. I mean, you probably didn't even know, you know? Right. I probably just wanted somebody to, to hear me, you know, really see me and hear me. Yeah. But yeah. So, but the funny thing was, is I always knew it was God that could relieve me of my alcoholism. And it was, you know, even at 21, at, I think that's probably when I first became truly an alcoholic at 21. I knew it. I knew I was an alcoholic, but I didn't do nothing about it. Two, for two years, you know, but so when we by first, this time, when we first learn it, it's more like our understanding, at least for me, my understanding was, you know, I got this monkey, I got to feed, you know, and that's yeah. all I was thinking about, you know, like I got to feed the monkey. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't thinking I need to help t- to find a way out of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, I think part of me really wanted a way out. And the other part was like, nah, forget it. Nobody understands me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that self-pity. Nobody gets it. <laughs> the terminal uniqueness. Yeah. But, you know, so I think it was my last was my last night of drinking. And I stayed up the whole night. I was out at some party. I didn't know where the hell I was. Somewhere in Princeton. And that morning picked up my kid and I had somebody that I didn't really know watch my kid, which was like, mm. go went against every bit of my being, but I did it anyway. Right. You know, and, uh, I was driving from Princeton back to Anoka, still pretty much drunk with my kid in the back seat. She was, Oh, I don't know. Five. I don't know. I don't know dates and ages. So if it sounds crazy, it is. Cause it's all mixed up in my mind. But I remember driving and I was like, this is crazy. What am I doing? As I'm looking at her in my rearview mirror, because her birth parents are both drug, they're drug addicts and alcoholics. And I'm thinking in my head, God grabbed her from these guys and gave this baby to another drug addict alcoholic. What are you thinking, God? (laughs) But yeah, that was kind of like. Because it's God's fault. (laughs) No, it's not God's fault. No, I, I know. Like, I'm just making dumb. I was supposed like, to be a joke. <laughs> I know. I was like dumbfounded. Like, what is going on? Like, you know, it just kind of dawned on me. Like, I can change this. I can break the cycle, you know. Yes. And I didn't. I didn't like myself. I didn't like who I was. Who I was. And um, I got home and I called a friend who had been to treatment before, and I said, "Where'd you go? I'm going on Monday." And I called and my intake was a Monday. I know that. And well, by golly gee, the lady agreed that I was an alcoholic. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. So I went to treatment. That's and awesome. I guess I, I guess I put on a pretty good show too, because one of the counselors is like, you don't even need to be here. You don't even think seem like you need to be here you got it all together and i was like yeah okay you're so right 
<laughs> that ma- manipulation piece was still really prominent with me, I guess, you know, I don't know, but hmm. it, it worked. Wow. It worked. And then, yeah, shortly after I graduated treatment in June and me and my husband at that time split up in July. And then I was a single mom sober. Um, I went to AA though. I went to a faith-based meeting. I got me a good sponsor. And uh, she brought me through the AA book, brought me through the steps, I think, within six months. Wow. Started leading a women's group at the church. Started sponsoring women. Went. To, that's when I went to college to uh, get my bachelor's degree in psychology. So I graduated with that 2012. It wasn't easy, though, being a single mom, so newly sober. <laughs> no, I'm sure it wasn't. But when you were in, when you were still at the treatment center, and because I don't know, I guess I was assuming or or thinking that you were going to turn back to to your old behavior when you left, because you were saying like that that you had them so convinced, you know, mm. that you didn't need to be there and this and that. Um, why, why do you think, why do you think that if you, cause it sounds like you actually, you know, you did grab a hold of this recovery thing. You did do the work. You did embrace the lifestyle from that point. So, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you just couldn't see it in yourself that like they could see that you were really serious that time and you didn't know yet. Oh. Yeah, possibly. <clears throat> yeah. Cause that I might, thought that might sure be it. you were going to say that <laughs> Then you're like, Oh, I got a sponsoring <laughs> steps. And I'm like, wait, I'm confused. <laughs> right. Right. Well, see, I don't know why that guy told me why he said that to be honest with you. Cause like, in the treatment center I went to, they, I'm sorry, but they weren't that great. We were kind of on our own a lot. Yeah. Just doing this stuff. And um, it wasn't even the counselor that I would meet with regularly. It was some other person. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know why you said that. But I mean, I was serious when I went there, like my first day at treatment and I read the 12 steps for the first time. I was like, that was a spiritual awakening in itself, a spiritual experience. Cause I had been looking for like, who's going to teach me how to live life. Like, I don't know how to live life. And I was reading and all I saw was God in all those steps. And I was like, yeah, God's the answer. He's going to teach me how to live. And then it is the answer. They're going to show me how to do it, you know? Yeah. And so I just, you know, when I picked the, lady I wanted to sponsor me she's like so dang serious she's like are you are you willing to go to any lengths Tori I mean any lengths <laughs> like oh my god yes <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to any lengths I'll do whatever you say <laughs> oh yeah so no, I mean that's, so that's, that's what awesome. I did and I know like it's it's uh it's crazy when you have that that moment or, you know, I don't know how many of them I had, but just Mm -hmm. those those little window of, you know, moment of clarity where you're like, Oh my God, I need help. Right. Like I am. Yes. And, and you're talking about that just driving in the car and yeah. And realizing that, 
you have to do something right right but there's one there's like it's one thing to have that experience and it's a whole nother thing to act on it right right capitalize on that moment while it's there and i can't stress this enough to those of you out there listening you know if you're uh contemplating recovery or you know just seeking it out sort of or if you're just thinking about it you know it's like put some action behind that because this thing the thing about those moments of clarity is it's a short window and it will snap shut again and you don't know when that window is going to open up again you don't know when the next moment of clarity is going to come and you might not make it out alive you know it's like this truly is life or death for a lot of us and Mm -hmm. (laughs) i just think that's awesome that you you know whatever it was about that moment if it was yeah because she was in the car, you know, and, and maybe you were, cause you were already feeling like you kind of like, you know, betrayed her a little bit by letting some right. basically stranger watch her and like, just thank probably already like, thank God she's like, okay. She seems okay. Like they seems like they took good care of her. Yeah, but now right. look at, I'm take look at the care I'm taking her in. I mean, just having that kind of clarity in that moment to say, yeah, enough's enough, man. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to backtrack because I had a similar experience when I was in Arizona. Um, It's pretty profound because I've had a lot of different God moments, even when I was using, I mean, like the Bible says, he'll never leave you or forsake you once you're his. And I'm going to say that's so true in my life. And um, when I was in Arizona, it was like, God was talking to me left and right. And I just, I mean, I literally was like, all right, God, I hear you just shut up, you know, like, (laughs) leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Um, (laughs) But he doesn't leave you alone because if you're his, he ain't going to leave one of his kids out there without trying to get him back. And when I was in Arizona, I actually leave the 99, right? Leave the 99 for that one. Yeah. And when I was in Arizona, I went, so I was in graphic design school before I moved to Arizona. I moved to Arizona, transferred to a different college for graphic design. And I, um, I went off on my teacher. <laughs> I like yelled at him because he told me I did something wrong or something. And so I had so much turmoil within my spirit. And when I was in Arizona, I believe it was because God was trying to get my attention. And I went outside and it was night school. And I sat on the curb smoking a cigarette and, uh, out of the blue, some guy came walking up to me and he sat down next to me and I was like, what's happening? And, uh, he's like, do you have a cigarette? And I was like, yeah, here. And then he turned and looked at me and he said, I've got a message for you. And I was like, okay. And he's like, God's calling you home. You need to go home. Ugh. And I'm getting teary eyed right now thinking about it. Cause like, this is a stranger. He doesn't know me. Right. And he's telling me God is calling me home. And I was like, and they knew it was two different meanings. You need to go back to Minnesota and you need to get back in relationship with God. And, um, that was like, that was, I forgot to mention that earlier, but that's kind of what spurred that first stunt of sobriety on wow. for me. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> and when I was out there too waitressing, it was like every single stinking table I waited on was praying before their meal. Oh, I wow. waited on, yeah, I waited on, a pastor from the assemblies of god of phoenix church and then the guy he was with was from 
a church that I would go, was going to when I was 16 years old. If that's not God, I don't know here in Minnesota in this pastors in Arizona and I'm waiting on them. Wow. That's, that's weird. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? And so yeah. I was like, <laughs> at one point I was like, at one point, literally when I was at work, I felt like Jesus or somebody was walking behind me, like stepping on my heels. And I'm like, Oh my, okay, God. That's when I was like, can you just leave me alone? <laughs> I know you're there. Leave me be. Right. But anyway, so like I thought I'd add that me, in there. Or like, at least give me a second to think about this. <laughs> right. Cause it's like, so, that's, a, that's a lot, right? It is. And so I think when I was driving in the car with my baby, my, this last time of getting sober, you know, all that other stuff, all those other memories of God pursuing me came back to my mind. And, you know, I kind of just knew that, that I just, that was a moment of surrender for me, basically. Yeah. Okay. God, I give up, you know, I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting others. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm hurting you. Right. You know, so, you know, this isn't your plan for me to be a drug addict and alcoholic my whole life. Right. Totally. You know, so. Oh, crazy. Dang. But it is amazing that you put action behind <laughs> that realization and you yeah. went after it, man. It sounds like you really just went after it. You. I did. It was like 110%. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so yeah, when, so it's when you went through those steps and, and did that deep inner work to heal yourself, or at least I, I, I don't like it when I say that. I don't know why I said that because I don't like it when people <laughs> act like it heals you completely because it's not a one, no. right. But um, it's, it's really like getting that first big shovel load, you know, out yeah. and, yep. and in starting the work, um, what was that experience like for you as far as just the, like the way it affected your spirit and the, the way it relieved your, um, mm -hmm. your alcoholism and your, your pain? Right. Well, you know, it was like my sponsor, my first sponsor who I did my first fourth and fifth step with, she was like, you are going to I want you to sit down and I want you to ask God to show you everybody that you're mad at, everybody you've harmed, all your fears, all your sexual misconduct. And uh, I want you to go back all the way to your very first memory. I was like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> this is torture. But you know what? I did it. And uh, my first fifth step literally was eight hours long. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but I left, I left there on step nine. Yeah. I left her house on step nine. She brought me to through all the way to step eight. Um, and when we were done, we burnt, well, you know, I made my other list for my step eight list. And then we burnt my four step, all that crap that I wrote down. We burnt it in a fire pit. And she said, you're a new creation now. Um, the old is gone and the new has come. And I was like, and I felt it. I literally felt it. Like not everything left right away, like character defects wise, but like a lot of the anger, a lot of the pain, um, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders and I could like breathe. I, 
that's how I'll explain it. I could breathe again and I'm not that bad of a person. Like God still loves me. I have some assets going on. <laughs> you know, I'm not just a piece of crap like that right. I thought I was. Because it's, you know, it's um, not just about the in, taking inventory of every shitty thing, right? Either it's you right. know, good too. And, you know, I, it's like I always say, I don't think that it's a bad thing that I'm an addict because I, I just need to, no. I needed to learn to channel that energy into positive things. And, and, uh, you know, you find your gifts and, but it's yeah. definitely the, I, I did that before with the sponsor, the, the burning of the fourth step. And it was like, uh, to me, it was like an enhancer in a way, yep. because it was like physically taking a physical action of letting it all go or letting it go. Yep. Giving it all to God and make me a different person. Yeah. It's <laughs> not, that's not going to define me. And that's yes, the past, right? That's, that's powerful. That's really powerful stuff. Yeah. It was very, it was a powerful moment, you know, and uh, you know, that's, I think that's what I needed. Um, I needed to do that. And then, you know, with all the trauma that I experienced, I, I did throw myself back into therapy right away when I got sober in 2009. Um, you know, because, and what I was diagnosed with was, um, well, PTSD at first. And then I met with a different therapist later on. And she was like, you have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, Tori. So that just means multiple traumas through a lifetime. That's so complex. Um, you know, so I was in therapy from... 2009 till 2019 so 10 years I did therapy for my outside issues <laughs> and, you, and you went regularly <laughs> oh I did once right. a week <laughs> nice I went regularly I think there I had a break in there I probably had a break in there a couple different breaks like a couple months but you know um yeah I mean I needed to do that because I you know writing all that stuff down on your four step, like you got to, you know, that gets to the causes and conditions, man. But I had some really deep roots of pain and stuff that the 12 steps really didn't touch. Right. You know, so well, <clears throat> I know for me, my personal recovery journey, uh, therapy and med medication as well for my, mm -hmm. my major depressive disorder, what has been, paramount importance uh in my recovery you know like i think that there's no shame and in in knowing yeah. that you need to dig deeper uh you know to to hit it from multiple angles because mm -hmm. like just like walking in the rooms right like just like trying to first time you ask somebody to sponsor you it's the same thing it's it's just recognizing that there's more to this. This is, this isn't all I need. This right. is helping me, but I need more, you know, and, and being willing to, to try it, you know, try different stuff, because I'll tell you what, I didn't plan on going to therapy when I got into recovery, but right. I followed a suggestion. And as yep. I'm glad I did, because it was, you know, 
it, it just paid so many dividends down the road. It was it comfortable. Right. No. Was it easy? No. I had to go uh-uh. sit down in a room with this person. I don't know. And I didn't trust. And I had trust issues. Right. anyway. Believe me, I didn't fucking trust anybody. And I'm like right. trying to like right. open up. And you know, it's just, it was like, ugh. My skin crawl. It made my skin crawl, but that was in the very beginning of it, and eventually it was yeah. like a complete turnaround. And I, he taught me. My therapist taught me how to be able to sit with it. You know, he was like, yeah, he was like, no matter. He's like, take all of that stuff, put it on a big platter, and and like like a guided meditation. He's like, set it in front of you. He's like, mm-hmm. now do whatever you have to do with this big stinking steaming pile of shit. <laughs> He's like, you can wrap it in a pretty, you know, gift wrap it, put a bow on it. He's like, maybe spray it with some cologne if you need to, to make the smell tolerable, but do whatever you got to do to make it okay to be sitting right in front of this. Yeah. And now just sit with it. And I don't know yep. what it was about that visual representation that he proposed to me in this guided meditation that always stuck with me. And I I still use it to this day every once in a while when I'm having trouble accepting something as it is in this moment. Yeah. I can, I can find a way to make it okay to sit with it now, you know? Right. Yeah. I hear you. Weirdest shit. You know, and I think for me, it was like going to therapy. It, it gave me permission to feel. Yeah. Because I didn't have permission to feel what I was feeling, you know, Wow. as a kid, you know what I mean? So all that stuff, like now I have a permission to feel. What do you feel, Tori? You know, and I learned, hell, it's okay to be a sensitive person because that means you're going to be sensitive to other people, even though I struggle with that sometimes too, Dude. you know. But that's just because of the, you know, trauma, like you get emotional flashbacks and that that's really a kicker when you're in recovery and you're trying not to hurt people and you end up hurting people. Right. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I, to your point, and that's such a important realization to come to, right? Like I used to hate my sensitivity. I used to hate it because Mm -hmm. I hated feeling x y and z i didn't want to feel this way i didn't understand why it seemed like everybody around me uh just didn't have feelings like they're you know what i mean or whatever and i i remember when i realized like what a blessing it is you know like when i realized in my recovery that i i have a big heart and yep And that I'm a, like, yeah, like I'm a loving person and I, it's cool to care deeply. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, you know, just like so many things, right. In this recovery journey, when it's like completely flips the script on you and your perspective goes 180 on you, like my pain became purpose. Like I'm grateful for my trauma. What (laughs) doesn't wait. What? No, I hear you. Same because you know I've helped you know then we're more available to help other people and we can be like hey I see you I hear you and I believe you because I've been through the exact same thing right and that's what people that's what people need we need to be seen we need to be heard and we need to be believed 
Mm. And if that doesn't happen in childhood, well, let me tell you, walk into the doors of AA because we are going to do it. You know, we will see you, hear you and believe you. And that's just validation, you know? Yeah. You know, and then, you know, I think too, like for me going through therapy, trauma therapy was just another level of freedom, you know, Mm. you know, and, uh, you know, and it's taught me to find my identity in God and nothing else, Mm. you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in his eyes. And that's all that matters. And it gave you a safe place to feel what you yeah. had, what you had to feel, what you needed for so long to feel. Right. So you could process it in a, and it was a safe space for you to do all of that. Right. So you could move beyond it finally, you know? Right. And the thing too, like even with my the sponsor I have today, and she's been my sponsor for I think 10 years now. Wow. She like she's amazing. She's given me the permission to feel too, you know, and she's seen me and heard me and believed me. And so it's just that, you know, when that happens, healing can begin like, Mm. you know, yeah. I mean, we're so, we're so broken and hurt when we come to AA and it's like, you know, we feel like an outsider, like nobody understands and nobody sees me nobody hears what i'm really saying you know crying out for help through bad behavior <laughs> it's like we're like little kids <laughs> totally i'm still like a little kid <laughs> you know and then people are people unconditionally love you and it's like oh my god well now i can love myself and then once we love ourselves we can then pay it back and love others unconditionally you know absolutely that's yeah. poetry and it is real and it happens every day and it's something i'm glad i found because i didn't think that type of world existed you know at one point i just didn't right that i would have laughed at you if you told me that that was something that was available to us all you know it's literally available to us all (laughs) right and i didn't you know i didn't even realize when i went when i first started going to aa you know when we first come in it's kind of like okay well i gotta quit drinking it's all about just being sober yeah well no <laughs> no you know it's it's about <clears throat> getting rid of those defects of character the the patterns of behavior that we've been programmed to be you know that survival right. survival mode and just relearning um in working on our character you know and working on our relationship with our higher power mm. and then once that's you know once our spiritual condition is good then all these other things are gonna um line up and level out and everything just starts getting better and better right. you know we become kinder people to others and, you know, my, my sponsor today has always told me, you know, the program of AA is the hardest to work in your own home with the people that are closest to you. And it's so true. And it's, it's like, you know, that was the hardest part for me was working 
this program in my house with my kid because it was like, I'm doing these things. I'm yelling at her still in sobriety and I'm controlling. And, you know, so I had to do a lot of work on, on those behaviors with my kid and thank God for AA and step six and seven because, and my sponsor who taught me how to actually be a parent. Um, Practicing these principles in all our affairs. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's kind of cool because my kid's 17 now and, a few months back, we went out to eat and she was talking to me. She's just like, uh, telling me, yeah, mom, you've changed so much. You used to control me in this way and that way. And she was just laying it out. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, but you're so much better now. You don't do those things anymore. And she's like, but one, but there's still one thing. And I'm like, okay. You know, I've always kept my kept our relationship open. Like you call me out right, kid, because I, I, I want to be a better mom. So you call me out when I'm doing something that you are, that's hurting you. Right. And she was like, well, mom, you know, sometimes you're still careless with your words. And I was like, Oh, you know, and I am, and I, and I, and I have been with others too. And it's like, you know, so it's just another, another thing to work on. And that's the thing with, and it's not condemnation. It's just like, well, I can be better. I can do better because I've done better in other areas. So yeah. here's just another, here's the, here's the next one. Right. Exactly. And that's the deal, right? Because that more right. will be revealed, like, like, yes. and, and then I don't know why, but this just comes to my heart to, to say this, you know, we've been talking a lot about God and I love these kind of interviews where I can speak openly about god but um you right. know that scripture that talks about how the lord will be a lamp at your feet showing yeah. you each next step and light unto my path yep for me like to your point i need to be open to receive those messages whether it's from my son or uh -huh. from my friends or it's from whoever um right. if i'm going to snap my mind shut on that and and like not consider what you're telling me, mm -hmm. then I'm cheating myself because yeah. it's a natural progression in this lifelong process of healing and and growth. There, right? You know, personal development yeah. that we're on to take that next step to to be willing to see it, to look at it, examine it, and and, and right. face it head on. And you know, it's like. How many things to your point when you first start in recovery and I'm thinking, you know, I just don't want to go to prison, hopefully be able to see my kid again and, right. and, and like, you know, stay clean. And it's changed so much over the years where, I mean, I have faced certain things that a, I never thought I would have to face, didn't think they needed to be changed. Right. Uh, B I, I never thought were possible for me. You know, I didn't think that could or would ever be a part of my story to be able to say that I, you know, did that. And, but now it's like, I can be, you know, to the point where I'm at now, where it's like, I'm kind of beginning to kick around the idea of maybe looking into getting a home, like a home home, you know, like yeah, of my own. I've never, and it, 
that's one of those fucking impossible things, you know, that I never thought would be a possibility. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, my sponsor was just telling me, he's like, it's a natural progression because you take on when you face something head on that you don't think you can, you know, do, and you Mm -hmm. see results in that area because you're putting in effort and, and accepting guidance and seeking support and you're, and you're walking into it and you start seeing results in that area, it's only natural that, you know, you're going to move on eventually to the next thing in a, mm-hmm. in a natural progression. And he was, so he was like telling me, uh, you know, that he was proud of me because I'm, I'm looking into this next thing. And I'm like, it really <laughs> like warmed my heart to hear. Cause I don't think about it like in those terms. I wasn't, I'm always the last to know, right? Like good or good, bad or ugly, what's going on with me. But to have somebody just sit there and like make that kind of observation to me. And it's like, it really swells your heart with the little, like that real pride, not that false pride. Right. That I am, I am like, I'm still growing. I'm still progressing. I'm still moving forward. Like that's an awesome empowering feeling when somebody can give you that uh, feedback, you know? Right. Right. Well, you know, and the thing is, is too, it's just really about remaining teachable. Like my sponsor's got 25 or 26 years and she still says to this day, I don't know anything. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm like, what, (laughs) what do you mean? You don't know anything. You know, a lot of stuff. but she's just saying that she's you got to remain teachable because we don't got it all figured out man right like once we think we have it figured out that's when you're in trouble Mm. yep that's when you're in trouble that's pride if you think you got this program down that's that's pride you know i want to say it was i don't know i want to say it was in the tao te ching it's like a book of Eastern philosophy. Yeah. But it was, I think there was some, I think it was in that book. There was a thing that said um, to, to always have the spirit of the student and never of the teacher. Yes. I've heard that. And yep. I try to, I put that in my pocket, man. And I, I really do try to live that way because yeah, I, yeah. And it's not easy because, you know, Sometimes, of course, you know, we, you're going to puff up, you know, and you're going to, you're going to stomp your, you're going to dig your heel in and you're going to be on one about something and think that you're Mm -hmm. right, you know, and it's just the way it is, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but boy, I try to check myself before I wreck myself if I'm doing that too. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. I mean, step 10, when step 10 talks about when these crop up. Resentment, fear, anger. What is the other one? Selfishness, maybe. Yeah. When they crop up, it's like self. So that self-seeking, self-pity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of it. Any kind of character defects, they they can still crop up, no matter how many times you've gone through the steps and done a fourth and a fifth and daily step ten and this and that. Because we're human beings, you right. know, we're not perfect. So. Mm. You know, not even a little bit. I'll tell you that. So how is life? Um, You know, we love talking about the, you know, the work piece of it. But but let's talk about 
kind of like the fruit, you know, like since, since you've gotten, since you had that fateful day and you had that moment of clarity and you, and you put action behind that and you, you dug in and you went after this thing, what has that done for your life? Okay. <laughs> That's a heavy question. What has it done for my life? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's that's obviously lot. so much, you know. I mean, you know, on the inner, on the innerness, the inner being, the inner <laughs> per se. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> my innerness. Yeah, my innerness. Um, I have, I have a lot more peace today. I mean, I still struggle with anxiety, but I still have, in comparison, I have a lot more peace and serenity. Um, it's the fruit of it is um, my relationship with my kid is, is good. Um, she's still, she's 17. Mom, can I tell you something? I mean, she's very open with me. She's told me lots of things that I never would have told my parents. <laughs> and how's any age how's her how's her um like how's her development come along as well with with her journey good with, with i mean she's she's good she's been affected um she was diagnosed with um she's on the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to tell by looking at her or talking to her it just manifests more in like um schoolwork and slow processing speed and some executive functioning skills, but she's great. I mean, she's uber intelligent. She's a fantastic artist. Um, she hates school, which is fine, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, you know, and you know, my relationship with God has been restored, um, with people, um, the fruits of it, you know, I, yeah. And, you know, and I'm not really big on materialistic things or like, oh, hey, I got a degree in psychology. Woo woo. Um, but, you know, I probably would have never went back to school if I didn't get sober. Right. You know, I probably have been still waitressing or something. But now, you know, I've worked with kids uh, for in daycare centers for like 20 years, um, which taught me a lot, too. I mean, that's produced a lot of patience within me with kids. Um, and now today I'm a special ed para. And so I get to work with um, cognitively delayed and autistic kids. And um, to me, that's a, that's a gift of recovery right there to be trusted. Right. You know, with fragile, beautiful little children. Um, and I get to share the love of God in a tangible way with them, you know. Yeah, caring I was, for them. I was, I was just going to say, it's kind of like a ministry in and of itself right there. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I always, since I've been sober viewing me working with kids, why do you work at a daycare center? You don't make money. And I'm like, it's what God wants me to do. I'm here to love on these kids. And you know what? They're healing things in me too. And I'm going to add that to, you know, how God has healed me. Um, he's healed me through children, you know, just because they, they pour, you know, I worked with really little kids, uh, babies, like till they're like 16 months old and they really love, love you unconditionally, you know, 
you love them unconditionally and they love you right back. And that just, that just really produced a lot of healing in my spirit, you know? Um, and it obviously taught me patience. It taught me how to handle my own stress level. It taught me how to, uh, control self-restraint, you know, when you want to just scream because <laughs> right. this baby won't stop crying, <laughs> right? you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. There's a, so many different things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, and it's like, you know, when I did my first step nine, when I made my first amends with the people that I was partying with and stuff, it was like, and like with my parents and everything, everybody just said, it's okay. Just don't drink anymore. Right. We love you. And I'm like, what? Like with my parents, I'm like, probably, oh yeah, like a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> How do you want me to pay you back? <laughs> 10 bucks a month. <laughs> you know, and they both were just like, nope, just stay sober. I was like, okay. So yeah, I'll do more than just stay sober. I'm going to, I'm going to allow God to change me. So and make me that new creation that he said he was going to do, you know, and he has little by little. Amen. Me too, sister. Me too. Yeah. Well, I got these rapid fire questions. You down? All right. I'm down. I'm down. All right. Drum roll. No, I'm just kidding. What we think uh, daily routines are like super vital piece of having a meaningful and sustainable recovery. Um, so right. what are some things that you're daily routine for your recovery or just a right. It could just be things you do on a regular basis for your recovery routine. What was that consistent? Okay. Right on. Well, <laughs> I know that um, step 11 talks about upon awakening we ask God to direct our thinking. Um, I do that. So I pray and ask God to direct my thinking for that day because our, the thinking piece is the problem for me today, not drinking. Um, I go through my third and seven step prayer. I read some meditations, um, the each day, a new beginning meditation for women. I have the serenity meditation book from serenity village. Mm -hmm. Um, and really just practice. Yeah, it is. And then practicing these principles in all my affairs, you know, doing a step 10 every day, just, and, you know, for me, a step 10 is just me being more open to uh, God letting me know when I'm doing something wrong and correct right. it right away. Right. <laughs> or, or like I, I always say, it's just my own self-awareness, right? Like, uh, yeah, I need to be cognizant of my surroundings. So I need to have the situational awareness to recognize if I'm hurting or angering or offending somebody right like right. whatever that looks like and it could be anywhere yeah. you know i don't know how many times i might have to go or i'll feel compelled you know perfect example last week when i went the next morning and i said i apologize to my coworker, yeah. and he was literally like what are you talking about that's his response to it and the fact that he didn't think it was a thing isn't the important thing, right? The important right. thing is that I 
recognized it and I acted on it. It was a thing for you and it's about your recovery. And I've had that happen to me too, making amends to somebody and they're like, I don't care how you talk to me. And I'm like, what? I care. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, oh, okay. Because I don't want to drink. And so I got to make this right. (laughs) But it's important to me. So yeah, it's, it's, I totally hear you. It's just a, yeah. Right. Daily. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Just being, staying connected with God. And then I, I literally check in with myself. How am I feeling right now? What is my state of being right now? Am Mm. I fearful? Am I angry? Mm. For me, a lot of times it's, are you hungry, Tori? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Better eat. (laughs) Need a Snickers. (laughs) I know. Right. (laughs) No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all important. That's for sure. And, and it is so, so vital. Like if we're not, you know, it's a daily practice, right? So we all practice yeah. it different ways. I love hearing the ways that people practice it because sometimes, yeah, yeah I, I can't tell you how many things I got uh, kind of on the back burner, just like ideas looming in my mind that I've been given, you know, things that I definitely plan on exploring or digging into at some point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially revolving around things like quitting smoking, fitness. Yep. Um, yep. These are areas that I have yet to even delve. And I, but I, I think about it a lot though. And it's, it's, yeah. it's helpful to me to know what helps others so that I yeah. have ideas of what other ideas I can try. Cause I don't care how long I got. I always could try something new and I might, right. you know, send me into the next dimension type thing. So. Right. Yeah. Working out is a big, big one for me. Is it? Oh yeah. I work out like, well, three to four days a week. Nice. So uh, probably three days a week actually right now, but well, yeah, that's a big thing. With you then. I better not mess with you. <laughs> no, no. But it, I mean, it helps with anxiety and depression, to be honest. It really does. That's just one, one other thing. It really, um, I think it was like three years ago, I started working out again. Cause I was like, I got to do something, man. Cause I'm crawling out of my skin. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like running on the treadmill and like doing kickboxing and getting all that pent up emotion out really. You know, mm. it's really um, helped my recovery a lot. Yeah. And, you know, doing yoga too, like connecting with yourself, centering yourself, you know. Yeah. So awesome. And, and I go to like three, about three meetings a week. I try to hit three meetings a week. Nice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you do a lot. You do a lot for yourself. Self-care is important to you today. Yeah, it is. Amen. Um, next question. What book or piece of recovery literature has had the biggest impact on your recovery? Can I give you a couple? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sorry. No, I've been in recovery a long time. Come on. I hear you. I hear you. Codependence Guide to the 12 Steps, Melody Beattie. <laughs> All right. For sure. And then early on in my recovery, I read the book um, Destination Joy, Moving Beyond Fear, Loss, and Trauma in Recovery by Ernie Larson. Destination, That's a really good book. Destination, Destination Joy. Jo- Moving Beyond Fear. Yeah. Well, you just Destination Joy, Ernie Larson. Wow. Those it's a good sound- book. It's It's small. Those sound awesome. Yeah. I, 
I was earlier when you were talking and I've, and then I think we kind of progressed. So then I felt like it would be out of context to go back, but you, you had said this one little simple statement a few times uh, about, um, you know, when we were talking about therapy that you Mm -hmm. gave you permission to feel right. Yeah. So I did want to just to throw this out there to you. If you're a reader, um, check out there's a book called permission to feel by dr mark brackett and it is really really good it is amazing okay um but yeah you kept saying permission to feel earlier and i was like oh like it gave me goosebumps and i thought i gotta tell her about <laughs> that book so now I yeah know i never I heard it now i know i did that i told you about that book um there we go yeah Next question. What is the best piece of advice that you have received in your recovery? Um, to always look at my part in situations more than what the other person's part was because resentment is the number one offender. Mm. Yep. That's like, what can I do to change myself or yeah. Yeah. Like where, what did I do in this situation? Not, you know, cause we like to magnify, we minimize our part and we magnify the other person's part. Mm-hmm. So we gotta, we gotta like, look at it differently, you know? <laughs> yeah. Dang it. <laughs> I, know. I know it's so much easier the other way. Yeah. Um, what is the greatest challenge that you've had in recovery? Coping and healing with complex post-traumatic disorder. Mm. Yeah. It's funny, such a small, simple statement made, but that's yeah, yeah. There's so much there, and it, yeah, there is. <laughs> and I'm really proud of you for for embarking on that journey and sticking with that journey, like really, because it's. Yeah. Thank people, you. Yeah, some people just snap; they can't take it. They give up. They run away. They go back to this same old shit and i know like yep. there was a guy that i had at the treat one of the well, i went to like a lot of treatment centers but one <laughs> of the one of the treatment centers that i was at that was leading a house meeting one day and i know i've said on the show before but he said something to us and he said recovery ain't for no pussies <laughs> and uh, again that's just one of them things that like stuck with me i put it in my pocket because it was like when you're thinking like this is stupid or you know like this it's like just remember like if it was easy everybody would be doing it exactly you know and that flipped the script for me as well it was one of them things i was super raw at that time so i needed to hear in that kind of terms you know now that's kind of like an insensitive weird probably not (laughs) not a pc statement you know, to make, it's not like a message that I would want to put out there on a banner with my name over it, you know, but, (laughs) uh, it's definitely at the time when it was presented to me. Yeah. And and you're in like what, what you've done facing that complex PTSD, um, and all that trauma therapy is like, that's what that means to me. You know, it's like, right. It's hard work but it's it very hard work. So rewarding. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm a lot freer Amen. now. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're sharing 
your experience and letting other people know that who have the same stuff going on, that there's right. a way to overcome it or at least make it manageable. And, yes. you know, dude, and I hope and it's that, okay. And I, yeah, it's not I, your fault. And I hope somebody hears it and I hope somebody yeah. reaches out to you because they heard this because that's, yeah. what, that's what this is about, man. It's like, we didn't get the gifts that we've received to just keep them. You know, we got to right. get it away. Yeah. Oh man. So good. What is the greatest success that you think that you've had in your recovery? Oh my gosh. You know, I thought about that. I don't, I mean, my greatest success. I don't know if there's the greatest success, but there's many successes, Mm. you know, um, being a part of, of the, of the world, maybe (laughs) being able to give, being able to give back, like actually having something within myself that I can give to others. Yeah. Like, right. Something decent to offer the world around. Yeah. Yeah, Like an authentic thing. Super valid response to that yeah. question. And uh, you would be surprised some of the answers we get on some of these podcasts. You get some <laughs> people that are literally like, you know, it's something that sounds so trivial, but it's not, you know, because it is, no. it's, you know, how like we would look at a problem before and it would become all encompassing. And it's like, I can look mm-hmm. at my problems today. And it is as overwhelming as they may be. And I can find gratitude in that problem because I get to have these problems today. These are not right. problems that would even be in my world if I was still messing up I, or, you know, if I was in prison or if, you know, if mm-hmm. I had a needle hanging on my arm, I wouldn't be present for life to be experiencing right. the challenges that I have to face today. So it's totally. That's valid. what it is. It's so valid, man, that you would I'm say- present today. That's the, that's what it is. That's the greatest success. I'm present today. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. You oh, answered yeah. my question. You answered you. the question. <laughs> Just don't my answer. No. All right. What, what I was going to say. <laughs> yes. Just worded it differently. No, it's, it's, it's such a big deal and a blessing, you know? Yeah. Talking about this stuff I'm going up with through with my mom yesterday and how it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with in my life. Um, Watching my mom fight this leukemia and having complications arise and getting transferred to neurology to, because she's confused and now they don't even think that she can like approve her own care. And, oh, and I'm getting scared and yeah, and upset and sad and all these different mix of emotions at once. So it's a very hard, but it's also beautiful, right? It's beautiful in the sense that it brings us together as a family. Um, me and my siblings have um, connected like never before, ever before. Right. And to be able to observe like the way that my sister cares for my mother and in the way that my brother cares for my mother and 
to be able to be a to be able to be a safe space for them when they're overwhelmed with their feelings yeah. about the whole thing um, and be the voice of reason for them and vice versa to be able to vent and dump on them and, and have them provide me with a safe space. It's so the way that we're supporting her and each other is something that I, find myself often in the position where I'm just kind of beside myself observing the situation and feeling an immense amount of gratitude for them and for, for this gift, you know, of life, which, you know, you can't have the good without the bad. They're the, right. You know, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get hard. And that's life. You know, there's always going to be hard things in life, but I'm just like so grateful for, you know, God to be there in my heart and give me the strength and the peace to be present today for them and, and to be vulnerable with them. So I don't, you know, so I'm not cheating myself. So I'm getting what I need too. And it's just like, boy, it is a big, it is a big deal to be present. And yeah, it is. I wouldn't have been able to handle it before. I would have maybe visited her. I'm sure I would have visited her at least, you know, once or twice, but I would have right. been all fucked up about it for days and days and days and trying to stuff those feelings. And next yeah. thing you know, weeks go by and, you know, she's either, you know, beat the thing and already at home. And I'm like, holy shit, it's been a month or two months since I, <laughs> where did the time right. go? Oh, freaking <laughs> dazed and confused, man. <laughs> yeah. What did yeah. you say? Escape artist. That was me all day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this one here, this is a doozy. Okay. Um, you know, and it, then we're going to end it with a fun one after that. Okay. What is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Okay. Well, you know, to me, the forgiveness is a process. Um, Some people is easy to quickly forgive and others it takes time and it's a process. So there's probably one particular person that I'm still in the process of forgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I always tell my sponsees, um, what did it, I just said it to somebody the other day and now I can't remember how it went. Because <laughs> she was talking about herself. How do you forgive yourself? And it was yeah. like once you go through all 12 steps and you start forgiving others, you will be able to forgive yourself. Mm. Something like that, you know. Um yeah. so I'm kind of the person that forgives quickly unless I've been harmed in a really extreme manner. Right. So I've had to forgive quite a few people that have hurt me in my past, like in extreme ways. And uh, how I know I forgave them is if I think about them, I have nothing attached as far as negative emotion comes in, comes into play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just send them love and light. (laughs) Right. And mean it and actually mean it. That's when forgiveness has happened, I guess, you know, but I'm still working on one. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny that that's your response to the question because that's kind of why I wrote the question. 
I wrote mm-hmm. the question because I don't care how perfect a person's life may look as a result of recovery, um, what amazing things they do, well, how right. many lives they change, you know, uh, every single one of us, it's still a process. And that's right. the whole point of the question. I think it yeah. shows that we're all still working on something, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, because like my great, my grand sponsor, he always says he has to keep working the steps so that he can get rid of those resentments so that he makes room for new ones. Because <laughs> 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 there's always well, going to be new ones, you know? You speak in the truth, right? Yeah, I know. It's great. <laughs> it's so true. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's funny because it was just like you basically kind of, you know, affirmed the whole reason that I wrote the damn question in the first place. Um, <laughs> last but certainly not least, and I love this one. What is a song that symbolizes your recovery to you? All right. It is by Sia. And it's called Two Footprints. Two Footprints. Yeah. It's okay. about it's about that two footprints in the sand poem. Oh, Prince. I thought you said Prince, like Prince Ali, no. fabulous he, all your body. Foot. Footprint. <laughs> Foot. Your footprints in yes, the sand. Yes. Got you. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about now. <laughs> Just have that picture on the wall. Yeah, yeah. it's a great song. It's by Sia. Yeah, S-I-A. Okay. And I will be listening to that when I put the show notes together. That's what we do. And it's always no. cool. It is nice because sometimes I get turned on to something I never heard before. Like, I don't think I heard this song before. And right? if I love it, then I'm going to be hearing it for the rest of my life because it's going in my playlist and it's going to pop up on me here and there. And I'll be like thinking back to that sweet day when me and Tori talk recovery <laughs> on the Way Out podcast. yeah it's gonna be awesome (laughs) oh man thank you so much tori for coming on today not a problem we uh, loved it we definitely enjoyed your story and obviously you know we all reserve the right to share what we feel comfortable with and Mm -hmm. what we don't on a public platform such as this um but i have no doubt that you've said plenty enough to identify with some people. And I really, truly hope that they reach out to you because as I know very well, is that in a one-on-one type of setting, you would be mm-hmm. much more open about your story. So oh, yeah. if they have questions for you or whatever, you know, they just want to connect. Um, we're definitely going to have your your uh, contact info in the show notes for everyone along with her books and her song recommendation. We will put them in there and yeah, it's just what we do. We try to make it nice and easy for people to uh, draw from the well that gave you your great recovery. So right on hell. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a wonderful week and all you listeners out there as well. Um, new and old, faithful, whatever. Just uh, really appreciate your ears as always. And thanks for joining us on the Way Out Podcast this week. Bye.
Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time, and remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.